Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Jane Schooler for part one of their two-part conversation on how to parent when you yourself weren't parented well. Part two will be released on September 15th. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you from the Knowledge Center at Shadok and looking forward to another interview today. I'm going to be interviewing Jane Schooler, and our topic is going to be how to parent when you yourself were not parented well. So we're going to be looking at adult attachment, which many of you know is a favorite topic of mine. But before we get started with Jane, I want to tell you a little bit about her background. So Jane became a foster parent in 1978 and um, served as a foster parent with her husband from 1978 to 1986. They also, through this process, became adoptive parents um, and her um adoptive journey I'm sure she will touch on in our interview. But for the last 25 years, um, she's been training and educating adoption foster care professionals. She did go on to get a master's degree in counseling. She's been featured at numerous state, national, and international conferences, and she regularly trains for the Ohio Child Welfare Training Program. She is the author or the co-author of seven books, which having now written some books, I take that very seriously when I see that, realize what goes into that. Um, But she's the author of seven books um, in the adoption field. And her newest book is Wounded Children Healing Homes, How Traumatized Children Impact Adoptive and Foster Parents. So I'm really looking forward to her interview today. She's going to be joining us from Ohio, where she lives. And I think it's going to be a great discussion. So we'll be coming right up. Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joining Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on September 24th and 25th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, how to help parents initiate repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is open now. For more information or or to register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. Well, just as I promised, listeners, I am back here with Jane Schooler. Jane, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, Karen, it's a real joy to spend this time with you, and especially on the topic that we're going to talk about. Yes, yes. Um, Looking at how to parent if you maybe weren't parented optimally yourself. Um, I do want to see if there's um, anything else you want to start out sharing with. I did let listeners know your background before we started, but I'm interested if you have anything to say particularly about this topic and your interest in this area. But first I want to say 
that I don't remember where, when, somewhere in rural Illinois, you were one of the first speakers I ever heard when I was getting into working with um, adoption, foster care, attachment, trauma. Um, I was uh, coming to that role having not worked with those kind of issues. I had been doing um, traditional play therapy with children with much less traumatic and chaotic backgrounds. And I remember um, thinking, um, yeah, some of this is not working for me and I need some more information. Somehow you were speaking somewhere. And so I think you were one of the first people that helped it really click for me. This is this sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but I'm just going to say it. This is a really specialized area. <laughs> there are really yes. unique, there are really unique features of children who have experienced this level of trauma, this level of neglect. Um, there are unique features of children in the foster care system. There are unique features of children who have been adopted out of orphanage care. So I just really want to say I appreciate you being one of the first people to mm. kind of open my eyes to um, – this wasn't necessarily business as usual, and I was probably going to need a lot more understanding and education to work with um, this group of children and parents. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, do you have any idea what year that would have been? Let's see. I've been at Shadok 25 years, so probably 20 to 25 years ago, I would say. Okay. You know, and I always think back to those years, early years of training. What was I saying then? Yeah. Because I have learned so much more. About every week, I say, oh, I, I've learned something. I didn't know I didn't know that. Yeah. And to think about um, just the explosion of um, understanding trauma and its impact on attachment and all of those things at the deeper level that we're beginning to understand, it just changes everything. It does, you know, and it's uh, great that you bring up that point because honestly, some of the things that we were teaching and sharing 20 to 25 years ago, we would no longer endorse today. We have to evolve. It was what people knew at the time. uh, And I think uh, it's important to say that, you know, all of us, clinicians and uh, foster and adoptive parents, we have to be willing to change our mind when we get new information. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's really hard. Yes. And it was probably, um, our book, Wounded Children, came out in 2010. It was probably just a little bit, probably 2008, 2009. I've been a social work trainer in, in the Ohio program for years and years that I started asking, we're not doing enough. We're not doing something. There's a, there's a gap here. There's a gap in how uh, workers do home studies. There's a gap on how they do support they, and all of those things. So that kind of threw me in the world of exploring trauma. Mm-hmm. My first contact was with the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. Um, I wrote that book, Wounded Children, before I even heard of Karen Purvis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're hoping to rewrite it. We're trying to do that, but um, well, you may have written it. You may have written it before she was doing this work because she came to this work later in life. She did, and like understanding this attachment issue, I think we begin to understand a whole whole far deeper level, and that this involves the brain healing. It's just not 
rewards and consequences and, you know, business as usual as we done in the past. Um, so that's kind of what led me into all of this work. Yeah. All these huge gaps. Well, and I, what I especially appreciate is, in terms of what we're going to talk about today is I think, you know, as we were saying, things have needed to evolve historically. I really appreciate that you're emphasizing the caregiver's own history, because I think mm -hmm. that there's was a period of time when we were just looking at the children and over pathologizing the children and not really understanding. I'm not saying some of these children don't have very serious um, behavioral issues and all of that. I'm not, I mean, I work at Chaddock. I'm, I'm not going to minimize any of that. I've, I've seen it all. Sure. Um, however, attachment is about a relationship and not just one person. So mm -hmm. the importance of looking at caregivers and history and how they were parented and the topic that you're going to talk about, you know, how, how to parent if you were not, I was thinking how to parent well, if you weren't parented well, <laughs> I was thinking maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe that's, you know, the, the, the title, I know we already, you know, determined something to that effect, but tell me how you started thinking about that. Because um, when we first started talking about this, that was an unpopular notion. There was an idea, you do not blame parents. Mm -hmm. You know, if a therapist mm -hmm. starts asking you to look at yourself and your new history, you need to switch therapists because they don't understand rad, you know, was the kind of thing that we were told. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you need to move on from that person because they obviously aren't a rad specialist and, and all this kind of thing. And, you know, regardless um, of what the child's exhibiting, the family system and the parents' background matter. So tell us how you started to care about this, even though maybe when you started thinking about it, it was a little unpopular and maybe people even resisted hearing this. Well, part of my um, job um, initially before I really started training, I was a home study um, worker at our children's service agency. And um, I would just be able to scratch the tippy top of the, the family's history. You didn't go real far, real deep into that. But I began to see foster care and adoptive placements literally fall apart, which seemingly like for no reason. And so there, I, I, I began looking, in fact, there has to be something that these parents are bringing to this that makes them, they're not as resilient as we would hope they don't have a hardiness scale talks about how hardy adoptive and foster parents are. And the research says it's what the parents bring to the experience. that's going to determine their hardiness and their resilience. So I started looking at how can we begin assessing families at a far deeper level than we did before. And so um, we began developing a whole training on trauma, what we call trauma-informed assessment and preparation, that we dig deep into their um, history because we, can't, we are what we are out of our history. That doesn't mean we're stuck. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I, I think when I saw so many gaps and so many failures, realizing we're going to have to look at this far differently. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think one of the um, 
biggest issues, we um, used to do the Taylor Johnson temperament profile for families once our director said we could start digging. And one family turned in their profile, I think there's 180 questions on it, with identical answers, which is totally impossible. And so we began looking at that. And um, my director said, since we didn't have this in our policy, we can't use this as a red flag. But I said, this is a huge red flag. There's something going on here. No, no, no. So I had to license them. I didn't want to use them, but you know how that goes in foster care when you have an emergency. Oh, yes. So the, the we stand, uh, Yeah. We, sometimes we are forced to lower the, the bar of maybe what we think would be okay or acceptable. Yeah. Anyway, we placed a two-year-old in their home. Within three months, the whole marriage fell apart. And I sat down with the wife after she had left him. And she said he was so controlling that he did her hair in the morning and picked out what clothes she would wear. And she allowed that. And I said, so how did you do the Taylor Johnson? He said he sat down and did it for us. I would have loved to dig in for both of them, dig into his history, what made him so absolutely controlling, what fear was driving that, that it literally destroyed the family. And so when there were, I guess with the situation with this little foster fellow, he couldn't control a lot of stuff there and lost it. So I began seeing things in families. So we got to do a better job. We got to begin looking at this. You know, and I think that um, this is the, fear, uh, I think it's uh, innate and part of what you were saying that we can't screen out all these people. We won't have anybody, you know, there's already this big shortage of caregivers who are willing to step up and do this. This is not an easy thing to step up and do. And so there's always a fear of wait, wait, you know, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to screen people out, you know, when you have a shortage, Um, And so I think, too, it's important for us to stay here, and you alluded to this earlier, that you don't have to stay stuck in this, that we're not looking to rule people out. I mean, maybe in an extreme circumstance Mm -hmm. we are. I shouldn't say we should. But we're looking to look at one's history and vulnerabilities and how we could support them in those mm-hmm. to Absolutely. be an effective foster adoptive or just a parent, not even foster and adoptive, you know, to, to be an effective parent. So I just wanted to emphasize that point. Sure. And we're not looking, there's no way, none of us are perfect parents or we're no. parented perfectly. No. We have to be, be a system where we understand vulnerabilities. We allow foster parents to be vulnerable or adoptive parents and work with them. That's why we not only have developed this workshop on how do you assess them, then what does what I call trauma-informed support look like for the family? Mm-hmm. Because we've got to be pouring into the caregivers and the parents. If they do well, the kids are going to do much better in their home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what happened after that? That's a pretty dramatic story that you opened with in terms of what happened to that family and what you discovered in that family later. What then happened at, at, at the agency? Well, I, well, or in your no, work, <laughs> in my, well, I soon left the agency to become a full-time trainer. So it's been years of developing material to train workers to do better. Yes. At these kind of assessments. I just saw too many, too many devastating stories of kids being 
moved so many times when it's probably related to the foster adoptive parents needs a better support because of their own history. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. So that's where we are. Um, I recently, it's probably within the last year or two, ran into a book called Childhood Disrupted by Donna Jackson Nakasawa. Amazing, amazing book. And that's where I got the idea. I've taken her idea and developed it further. How do we parent well when we weren't parented well? Mm-hmm. And so we, I think that's a real topic. When parents hear that and say, it's okay, it's okay, I'm not doing the best I could, so what can I learn to do better, if they're open to doing better? Yes, yes, yeah, great. Yeah, I, uh, I have recently um, read Running on Empty, and I have found that to be very interesting, too, because it in terms of thinking of, you know, what are some resources around this topic? Because it talks about emotional neglect. And some people, they think, when, you know, when you say we're wondering about trauma in your own history, they're, they're thinking, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I didn't have anything really horrible. I wasn't beaten or I wasn't sexually abused. And sometimes not realizing the absence of certain Mm -hmm. things um, in the caregiver child relationship can really make a difference for us too. you know, not having emotionally available parents and that sort of thing. But I haven't heard of that book, Childhood Disrupted. So I wrote it down. Oh, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. I don't know if it was Dr. Siegel or Dr. Perry. I forget which one said this, but he said the, the good things that don't happen in a family are far more devastating than really the bad things that do. If I come from emotional neglect, that has such serious long-term ramifications. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Our kids come with us, bad things have happened and good things haven't. And Mm -hmm. so that creates a trajectory into adulthood. They, a lot of, some parents don't know how to make the good things happen because it never happened for them. Yeah, that's a very nice way of saying it. Mm -hmm. So what do you see, you know, I can imagine some listeners because this comes up a lot um, in supervision that I do. Well, what if parents are really, before you get into what, what you even have them examine and look at, what if they're just really resistant to the whole idea, period? You know, this isn't about me. I'm here because my child, you know, has problems, a sort of, sometimes we call it the fix the kid mentality, um, or sometimes I used to mm-hmm. call it when I worked in foster care, taxi cab therapy, you know, I'll drop the kid off here and go run errands or grab a coffee. Yes. And while you work on fixing them, and then I'll be back to pick them up. Um, so we have some patterns like this, it's an idea mm-hmm. sometimes like this. So the first step, like you said earlier, would be the person wanting to change and being open to looking at this. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because that's an initial barrier. Sure. In Ohio, um, we have, I think, um, 10 or 12 categories are home study that we have to look at. And I think when you look at their history, one of the categories is um, openness. um, And that has to do with um, 
how are, open are they for people in their lives? Another one has to do with uh, resilience and stress and coping. And I would, I would want to look at their history of reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. Have they done that in the past? In what way have they done that? Uh, those are real indicators, I think, if they're going to reach out. Are they so isolated, mostly isolated, they can't go there? I would want to look at their relationships, their friend relationships. If they don't have a whole lot of friends, I would want to look at what are your... um, Let me back up there a little bit, Karen. Dr. Purvis said, I went to a workshop with her before she passed away, and she kept saying, we have to assess parents for capacity, capacity, capacity. And there were about 70 professionals in the room, and I didn't want to appear like, what do you mean? So I finally said, raised my hand, said, what do you mean, Dr. Purvis, capacity? Capacity for relationship. (laughs) If they've not demonstrated that capacity for relationship in their home study prior to their coming to foster and adoption, they're not going to be able to provide without support and openness and willingness to change that relational piece that kids need to heal. You're saying such important things. I can imagine listeners are thinking, wow, they've got it going on with these Ohio home studies. I don't know that we're doing that in my state. (laughs) Well, I hope, you know, I'm a trainer and every once in a while I'll hear about some uh, from a a worker who's been in another workshop after one and they'll say, oh, we're using what you said. Oh my gosh, I never hear anybody using anything I suggest, but I hope they are. (laughs) You know, you know how that goes. (laughs) Get your CEU credit and you go put it in your desk. But I think we're, I think we're doing. <laughs> we're true, we're, huh? We're keeping it real here, Jane. Right? Keeping it real. I was actually, and I'll just tell this real quickly. I was training some tools that we had created for this assessing and repairing. Then uh, a group of county people came to this part two on what is the support, and they were talking about how they were using the tools. And I was shocked. And out, out of that grew a consortium, I never say that word, consortium of 18 counties that came together in Ohio. This would have been seven years, eight years ago. And we worked for two years to get the whole pre-service in Ohio changed to be more trauma-informed. But it was because those workers were using what we had shared in the workshop. So it was interesting. That's great. It is so good to see that some of what you're sharing is getting instituted and used and, and that's gratifying. You know, what, one day um, I heard uh, Bruce Perry speak and I think he had, you know, testified on the Hill or, you know, some major important legislative thing about childhood trauma. And he's been asked to do this, of course, many times, not just in a legislative capacity. And he said, you know, they don't listen to anything I say, but they bring me in. And so my first thought was sad that they don't listen to it. But my second thought was, well, I guess it won't take, I won't take it personally. (laughs) People totally disregard any of our ideas and suggestions because they do it to him. But anyway. And it's sad. And when I'm in workshops, yeah, when I'm in workshops and I see people really resistant to what I'm sharing, I recently did a workshop for school teachers, 
and the middle school teachers were all sitting at the table to my right with their arms crossed. And um, I could tell they had an attitude. They didn't want to be there. And we talked about what are the challenges in the classroom. And they said, our, our middle schoolers are apathetic. Well, I thought to myself, I'd be apathetic if I have teachers like you too. Um, <laughs> but their whole thing was they wanted more disciplinary methods. Yeah. They didn't want to learn about the power of connection and relationship. Right. And, you know, you always have those, but it's sad. And you, so you have parents that are saying, just tell me how to fix this kid. Don't go to, don't go to my stuff. Right. Because it's not about my stuff. Well, yes, yes. it is about your stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so many important things that you're sharing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you mentioned some of your assessments. Um, and I mean, I mean, I mean, are those assessments that, that people can get places or it's just part of your home studies that you do in Ohio or? Well, they can and go online to the Ohio Child Welfare Training, and I can send you that link to their home. Okay, what okay that great. Looks that, that would be but good. The, um, I need to really ramp up um, my work for on the uh, trauma-informed assessment. I have a book. What does trauma-informed assessment look like if you're looking through the lens of trauma? And we'll use the essential skills from uh, the traumatic network. Mm -hmm. There are some things I can share with you. I They probably need edited, so I'd want to probably wait. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Or so, maybe down the road, we can do, we could do a webinar where I train these tools. Yes, yes. I'm sure that would be very popular. So, well, as we're starting to wind down on part one of, of our discussion here about this. Um, I'd like to start going into, okay, so you, you've gotten people on board with looking at this. Is there anything else you want to say in terms of how you present that to folks? Um, not really. We could jump into that. What, how, so how will we do this? Yes. Yes. Okay. We will definitely do that in, in part two here. And, um, is there anything um, specific you you want to say about, you know, this idea of if you weren't parented well, you know, how you can parent differently before we get into more nitty gritty about that in part two of our discussion. Is there any overarching things you'd like, like to say about that idea just to wind down this portion of our conversation? You kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, Karen, and is this is not a blame game. We are not asking people to go back and blame their parents. Brene Brown had a recently had a uh, article on Facebook, and she said she's she's looking at people differently, believing they did the best they could. They're doing the best they can. Yeah, and so. I look at my parents. Yeah, there were some big gaps there. My husband has some huge gaps in his parents' life, but they did the best they could, the best they knew how. And so I think if you start helping people understand this is a forgiveness thing, it's, they didn't do this intentionally. This is what they knew. Yes. That was, they're working off how they were parented. So um, I think that's a big, huge thing when, as we look at this whole topic is uh, that our parents did the best they knew how to do. Yes, and I think that that um, 
When we think about that in terms of the adult attachment interview, we're thinking about mentalization and reflective function. And we do even have a question on the adult attachment interview that demands reflective function from the person and says, why do you think your parents parented you the way they did? And that is a very Mm -hmm. telling question in terms of some of what you're talking about in terms of one's capacity to get into the mind of another to understand where your parents came from, what in their history could make them this way, and that kind of thing. Because if you have that capacity for your parent, you can also have that capacity for your children to get into the mind of a child and understand um, things about them and um, why they may be um, behaving in the way they are. So, well, this is great. So, hey, listeners, we are going to wrap up part one here. Please join us next week uh, for part two with Jane Schooler, where we're talking about adult attachment and how to parent effectively when perhaps you weren't parenting parented so well yourself. So we are looking forward to you joining us next week. And Jane, thanks for being here so far. Yeah, thank you, Karen. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Jane Schooler on how to parent when you yourself weren't parented well. Part two will be released on Tuesday, September 15th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.